I'm Kelly Evans, host of CNBC's The Exchange, which is now a podcast. Subscribe today. It's your one-stop shop for the day's top business stories. Plus, listen in for lots of original reporting, in-depth conversation, and some of the best of CNBC's award-winning investigative work. Subscribe to The Exchange for free, and you can always catch The Exchange live weekdays at 1 p.m. Eastern, only on CNBC. See you then. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to America. Other people want to make friends? I'm just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain, but to teach and educate you, particularly about crazy days like today. So call me at 1-800-743-CNBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Say hello to the new, new normal, the same as the old normal. After another whipsaw day where the Dow was flying high right into a few minutes before the close and then nosedived an incredible 284 points to actually close down 19. Look at this. You blinked, you missed it. Or you blinked and you got crushed by it. Uh, S&P fell 0.50. Nasdaq got pummeled 0.90% lower. You need to get used to some real craziness. And believe me, guys, I've been around forever. There's craziness. And if you can't handle it, I got an idea for you. You got to take your bat and ball. You got to go home. That's the way it has to be. First, people called the benign yet placid bullish environment we had for the last year the new normal. But you know what? There was nothing normal about what we just went through. No, not today. I'm talking about the last year. The kind of action we had until last week, where the market goes up for ages without ever having a meaningful pullback. People, that almost never happens. I want you to think of it now as Fantasy Island. Man, are we ever off Fantasy Island now? And we're not going back. So take off the wristband, rip up the ticket that got you in, because it is no longer valid. Second, we need to lose the whole idea of the opening bell and the closing bell. Closing bell. It's like trading right now, guys. It's trading right now. The whole lexicon's got to be thrown out. Even though futures markets are thin, they're trading like they did back during the financial crisis, which means that we shouldn't put too much emphasis on where the market actually closes. We got the figures, but they're meaningless. We don't have to. Be, we shouldn't even be caring about what happens at 9:30. Two nights ago, do you know this? I get up. I don't like to sleep. We experienced a mini bull market in the S&P futures. I kid you not. Between 3 a.m. and 4 a.m., it was powerful. Admittedly, it lacked staying power, but it was powerful. It was as powerful as the rally experience of the run-up to yesterday's close from 340 to 4. I'm not kidding. Then this morning, we were looking down 270 Dow points. Everyone was freaking out again. That was at 4 a.m. We opened a tad lower, but within a few minutes, we're up 100 Dow points before losing that, going negative, and then skyrocketing like a must rocket up 300 points, and then giving it all back in that blink. Yeah, as long as it took for me to kind of get my contact going. It's like someone forgot to take the stock market out of the washing machine, and we are stuck in the spin cycle with technology leading the way up and down in what can only be described as idiotic fashion, sound and fury signifying nothing.
Look, there is nothing sacred about closing prices. It just happens to be what's, where the market goes out of four. Consider that some stupid, moronic, greedy exchange-traded product, the inverse volatility index piece of paper, the XIV, dragged the Dow Jones average down 1,500 points in about 40 minutes on Monday. This product had $1.5 billion in alleged assets. Yet, you know what? It cost us roughly 500 Dow points. When? When? How about between 4 o'clock and 4.02 p.m. on Monday? Two minutes. Two minutes because the value of the paper had to be reset down 90%. That's just how it was designed. At the close of each day, the XIV would be readjusted to match the action in the VIX. But this time it cost the S&P 500 points. I've spent years warning you away from any kind of bet that resets at the bell. This XIV inverse wheel of misfortune was particularly heinous, as bad as the pernicious double and triple levered ETFs that the government foolishly approved years ago. As I warned for ages, the stock market simply can't handle the kind of downward pressure these instruments create when they implode, which is what this was about, by the way, today even if they are relatively tiny versus the trillions of dollars worth of stocks that currently trade here. The crazy action had to do with the pulling away of assets from managers who gun money into these dangerous pieces of paper. I've seen this before. It's happening again. Believe me, in moments like this, the mechanics of the money management business, not, not how Disney did, not how Fox did, not how Micron did, not how Take-Two did. The fundamentals mean very little right now. It's the mechanics, especially on an hour-to-hour minimum basis that are in control. Third, and this is real important, what destroyed the market on Monday and racked the last 10 minutes of today's session, 10 minutes, is the same thing that will ultimately cure it, ultimately albeit in a different form. I've heard a lot of people, I've learned a lot about how we've just, uh, just seen before uh, a week ago the high tide of passive investing. Because who wants to passively invest in an asset class where you could lose so much money in a single hour or minute? But that rhetoric is completely overblown. Index funds have practically become their own religion. One pullback, no matter how bad, and this is the sharpest one I can recall in ages, can't undo years of brainwashing about how fabulous they are. Don't get me wrong. Index funds are the kindest, bravest, warmest, most wonderful way to invest I've ever known in my life. Just like Raymond Shaw, the antagonist and uber all-time Kramer fave, the Manchurian candidate. I need to say that. I need to caveat myself or the index fund inquisition squad will come after me. But I've always maintained that you have the right to remain silent and buy individual stocks. And in a volatile market like this, individual stocks are better than the index. They can be your salvation. And this is the point I'm getting at. The same wild swings that have crushed the averages allow you to buy individual stocks at absurdly cheap prices if you're simply waiting for them to come in. If you simply have an order right here, underneath, you might be able to buy a stock like Lockheed Martin down four points that you should never have been able to catch. There are too many bargains being created by the new nonsense to ignore, which is why I say that the disease of volatility will spawn its own cure. Take today. Stock of Disney. 
let's talk about that. You know that Disney reported an excellent quarter. You know, of course, you couldn't tell from the stock price. For heaven's sake, it's all trapped by that nonsense. It was an excellent quarter. The theme parks are doing fabulously. The movie schedule is very strong. I think this Black Panther is going to be huge next week. Affiliate fees are holding up. ESPN's decline is slowing. And when they re-up all these different systems that take it, they're going to pay up more. And the new online ordering will be priced at just $4.99 for thousands of hours of sports programming. Most important, you can personalize what you want, which is incredibly important to the younger generation. I can't wait for the service, but I'm part of the older generation. Disney's merging with Fox, a deal I love, maybe even more amorous by a strong Fox earnings report after the closed this very night. But in the interim, also Disney's buying back its own stock hand over fist. Yet what happened? Well, the stock was up big, but then it ended up doing nothing. And I think it did nothing and gave up its gains because of all of this craziness. Okay, how about this one? This is a wild one that I'm coming to because this one's going to be knocked down by volatility. Not today. It couldn't get knocked down. It was too strong. Snap. Yes, I justifiably warned you away from this practically from the moment it came public. Of course, I, of course I did. I mean, it was losing a little some money with botched plans, a little show for it. But last night, Snap reported a quarter with some astonishing sequential growth. That means quarter to quarter. Users are way up. Commercials are being viewed for 10 seconds. Hey, by the way, that's ages in millennial time. You can personalize everything. And Snap and Bitmoji, I like Bitmoji, are the most downloaded apps in the Apple universe. Even better. The company's got religion about not wasting money. It cut costs dramatically while still managing to broaden its reach to the mid-30s demographic, as they called it, the older demographic. Sure, I was a skeptic, but after this quarter, I'm now a believer. Wowza, in many ways. Snap reminds me of where Facebook was years ago when the company finally figured out how to address its mobile problem. So even though the stock skyrocketed up an astounding 47% today, it's got a lot of run room. And it is a natural to be bought. What do you do with Snap? You put an order in, it's 18. And then it's 17. And then it's 16. You put all your orders in, limit orders. So when this stuff happens, you are there buying Snap four points lower than where it went out today. And you're going to have a bargain. There simply aren't enough investable social media plays around. The narrative has changed. The one scorn Snap is now legitimate. And you're going to get it at a cheaper price because of all of this. It's good. What else do you need to know about the market? Well, there's still plenty of stocks that are much cheaper than they deserve to be after the recent tsunami of selling. Others made you so much money, quick money in today's session that I think, yeah, bulls make money, bears make money, pigs get slaughtered. I don't mind if you ring the register. Finally, as much as I hate to say goodbye to anyone with a fondness for stocks, the fact is that the confident investors who came in uber-confident, overconfident, after the good news of tax reform and strong employment causing the last leg of the market's monster run, well, they probably won't be sticking around. Their losses during this Dramamine-sponsored volatility will most surely sour them on stocks. The up and down will prune them, just like the flash crash did, the financial crisis, the dot-com implosion. A new generation who will stay in cash rather than be tortured by this occasionally broken asset class. Sorry, guys. Better luck next time. How sad. It's crazy. I know, I know. It's, it's a shame that we get these bouts of madness where stocks don't correlate with the fundamentals. At times like these, though, I like to turn to that seminal stock guru, one rarely referred to in mad money. I'm talking about Eddie Vedder, who reminds us in that great Pearl Jam song, Yellow Ledbetter, that sometimes he doesn't know if he's the boxer or the bag. Don't be the bag. Be the boxer. The bottom line, take this volatility by the horns and harness it to pick off the stocks of high-quality companies that are cheaper than they deserve to be because of the nuttiness. 
and be ready for the next downshift. Could happen at 9.31 tomorrow. The longer-term problems of higher interest rates and the possible reemergence of inflation will make things tougher. But you can get tougher yourself as long as you know that you're doing the punching and bagging the best merchandise you can get. Betsy in Mississippi. Betsy! Hi, Jim. Betsy. I'm a, Lulu, I'm a Lululemon girl, a customer and a shareholder. Lulu's CEO is departing. Lulu's stock price has been resilient in a turbulent market. Do you think we have a downward dog, or would you hold that position? The action in this stock, Betsy, tells me that either someone's going to acquire it or the numbers are much better than expected. Now, also, let's add Canada Goose if you want another outfit that's in Canada that's making so much sense. Lulu should not have been up. Something's going on. The company ain't telling us. Bruce in New York. Bruce. Hey, Jim. I just want to say, first off, uh, I love your show. Thank you. Uh, Jim. Uh, Jim, I'm interested in your opinion on UPS stock. Uh, I know it's been up in the high 130s uh, in the last month, and now right. it's down to like 112. Uh, I retired from UPS, and I've been uh, acquiring this since 1995 through the Employee Stock Ownership Program. Uh, most of my shares have been like purchased between 35 and $70 a share, which okay. I know is a handsome profit. But uh, I have about 60% of this in my 401k. And my financial advisor and uh, some other relatives have been saying, I got too much. I should sell it. But I really like that $3.32 dividend. Uh, I and know, but Bruce, they're right. The they're, they're trying to be they're, they're doing the right and responsible thing. You got too much of it. Now, if you didn't have any of it, would I say you could buy it? Yeah, I really like the fact the stocks come down a lot. But I can't. Now, they're just trying to keep you from being hurt in a bad market. So, And it is suddenly a bad market. So I think you got to listen to them. You gotta listen to them. I think that they're right. I think they're right. All right, grab the volatility by the horns. Sure, it could be scary, but if you're ready and focused, the wild swings are opportunities. Be the boxer, not the bag. Oh man, tonight, as we pick up the pieces from the sell-off, I'm circling back to long-term themes that can continue to deliver even in this ridiculously rough market. Don't miss my take on which defense plays are best equipped to protect your portfolio. Then, the market's been all over the place the last few days. I know you got questions. I got the answers. We're going to open the phone lines. Talk it out. Very special strategy session. And Hasbro is a hand in your toy box. But that's not all. For movies, video games, the company's a one-stop shop for entertainment, and its stock showed that today. With shares moving higher, I'm sitting down with the CEO after earnings to see if it's still game on for the company. So stick with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1 800 743 CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. pieces from the huge market-wide sell-off, one that actually came back to haunt us late in the day. The resets put us back in the world of tremendous volatility. Well, how do you adjust to the new normal? What do you do? That's tonight's show. That's our theme. Sometimes it's as easy as falling back on one of the powerful long-term themes that we've been working on for everything went crazy and will, I'm telling you, not should, but will work now. 
Which brings me to one of my absolute favorites, defense. When the defense contractors get slammed by a big sell-off, they should be right at the top, number one of your shopping list. Because the things people are worried about, like the Fed possibly getting too aggressive, matter a lot less to the defense industry than, say, to the industrials. Certainly some of the soft goods or health cares. In fact, the defense stocks were one of the few groups that didn't give up the ghost in the last-minute sell-off today. When you sell military hardware, your clients are governments. They rarely let higher interest rates stop themselves from arming. It's too important. It's an imperative. Look, I've been a fan of this group for ages, and most of the defense stocks are still up anywhere from 40 to 60% since Donald Trump was elected. But the recent correction has given you a rare pullback. And while the defense names are already rebounding hard here, you're still getting better prices than you were last week, which is what we care about. So what makes me so sanguine about the defense cohort versus many other areas of the market? First of all, the Senate just reached an agreement today to lift the sequestration caps on military spending. We know the House is already on board. So it seems almost certain that the defense budget is going to increase by about $80 billion as part of a broader deal to avoid a government shutdown. Hey, $80 billion is better than a sharp stick in the eye. Who else is getting a big boost right here in the month of February? As I told you before, when Republicans control the White House and the legislature, Washington becomes a fabulous feeding trough for the defense contractors because this is the one thing that the GOP really likes spending money on. And frankly, I got to tell you, the Democrats, they rarely object to it. At the same time, the world remains, well, let's face it, it's a dangerous place. While we have had a lot of success against ISIS in Iraq and Syria, it looks like we won't be leaving Afghanistan anytime soon. And of course, things have been getting very tense in the Korean Peninsula, Olympics notwithstanding. I think it would be lunacy to start a war with another nuclear power. I just can't see it ending. Well, at least well. But the point is that from the perspective of the defense industry, there are tons of buyers for their wares, both here and in many ways since President Trump was elected abroad. And, of course, he, he, President Trump is actually the, the president-in-chief of selling American weapon systems to our allies overseas, from massive arms deals with the Saudis, which is waged, remember, they're waging a really ugly, hot war in Yemen that is never reported on, to selling Poland and Romania some Patriot missiles or the F-35 Joint Strike Fighters to Norway. Whatever you think of Trump personally, the guy has proven to be a very good arms merchant for American defense contractors. So while the broader bull market in stocks has indeed been damaged, if you've ever owned cattle, you know they find all sorts of stupid ways to injure themselves. The bull market defense, and let's be clear, I also mean the defense part of aerospace, like a Boeing, which is still up today. It's getting stronger, which brings me to my three favorite pure defense contractors in this environment. And they are, take them down, okay? Lockheed Martin, LMT, did well all day. Raytheon also. And then Harris Corp. These are high-tech arms dealers. Lockheed and Raytheon focus on aircraft and missiles, which we rely on so heavily in our current campaigns, while Harris is all about electronics and communications. In short, we like the arms dealers that specialize in warfare that comes from afar, which seems to be the new way of doing things here in the U.S. (coughs) Excuse me. Putting boots on the ground in someone else's war tends to be unpopular. But an air campaign, somehow, well, it tends to face very little resistance domestically. Why don't we start with Lockheed Martin, which is the big one that people talk about all the time. 
It's the aerospace and defense titan that makes the F-35 Joint Strike Fighter, which is the latest jet that our Air Force and Navy has decided to mass produce. We first heard about it when we went up to Pratt & Whitney United Technologies. The F-35 is growing like crazy now. Our allies are adopting all over the world. Back in 2015, by the way, Lockheed acquired Sikorsky aircraft from United Technologies, which makes helicopters. Think Blackhawks, Seahawks, and all kinds of transportation heavy-lifting choppers for both commercial but, more important, military operations. It turned out to be a very smart move. Didn't think of that initially, I have to tell you. Their missile and fire control business is seeing tremendous demand. And Lockheed finished last year with a total backlog of $100 billion, $100 billion worth of orders. Plus, the company's been a voracious repurchaser of its own stock in the open market. Next up is my personal favorite, one that leaped to the fore after this last quarter, and it's Raytheon. I call them the scientists of the defense space. It's a company that provides state-of-the-art electronics, mission systems, integration, sensors, perhaps most important, missiles, space and airborne systems, uh, what they call C5I, short for Command, Control, Communications, Computers, Cyber, and Intelligence. That's a mouthful. The more our military focuses on counterinsurgency and counterterrorism, the more we need RTN. When you see big missile defense system sales or hear about some ally buying Patriot missiles, which they do, constantly, because this company has a lot of sales overseas. That's Raytheon. I like this company so much that we used the breakdown on Monday to buy some of it for the Charitable Trust, which you can follow along by joining the ActionAlertsPlus.com club. It just seemed like too great an opportunity in this big sell-off, because the sell-off's about interest rates, the sell-off government shutdown. But one thing it's not about is military spend. In addition to being a big winner from increased military spending, Raytheon also gets a major windfall from the tax cut with its effective rate falling from nearly 36% down to 19%. You know what I think they're going to do with that? I think they're going to use the cash to reward shareholders. Third, there's Harris Corp, probably the, most, probably the most misunderstood defense play. It's all about communications, electronics, and space and intelligence system. I recommended the stock nearly three years ago after Harris acquired Exilus, which has transformed itself into a battlefield technology company. Since then, it's given us around a 90% gain. That may not get as much attention as Lockheed or Raytheon, but you'll find Harris's components in the same high-profile products. For example, they make the electronic systems in that Lockheed F-35 fighter jet. Harris is also selling tons of communication systems to the Pentagon, and their space and intelligence business is booming, thanks to a number of classified programs that we don't know enough to talk about other than the fact that they seem to, well, pretty profitable. But you know the main reason I like Lockheed, Raytheon, and Harris? It's because we know for a fact that all three companies are in fabulous shape. In fact, they were doing well even before Congress agreed to boost the defense budget. We know this because all three companies just reported terrific results. At the end of January, Lockheed Martin delivered a really fabulous numbers, a big top and bottom line beat, with much better than expected full-year earnings guidance. The stock had already run up going into the quarter last week, then surged up to 351 after it reported. Now it's back at 345. It's up less than a dollar from where it was before the quarter. At one point today, it was up much more than it went, than it, that went out, but so was everything. Now, Raytheon reported nearly two weeks ago. And while the headline numbers were a little bit confusing because of charges related to the tax bill, the guidance was incredible. Among the 
best I've seen since 2018 began. Their book-to-bill ratio came in at 1.26. That literally means they have more business they can ha- than they can handle. Now, on the, when the quarter was reported, the stock surged. It, it went from 198 to 211. But here's the opportunity. It's back at 204. And if you were nimble enough yesterday, you could have gotten in at 193. Yet for a brief moment, you got the quarter for free. That's what we're looking for from this volatility. We're viewing it as an opportunity. As for Harris, well, it shot the lights out last week. An amazing beat and raise quarter. I thought I'd seen something when I saw the numbers. That can't be. And it sent the stock flying more than 6%. But as of yesterday's lows, it too had erased the entire move. And then some. Here's the bottom line. Regardless of the market's newfound worries, the defense sector is booming here. We know Lockheed, Raytheon, and Harris are in great shape because they just told us so. They all had big moves up today. So don't chase them, but absolutely put them on your shopping list so you can pounce the next time this incredibly volatile market takes down the whole group. And you know what? That could be tomorrow morning. What's more mad money ahead? After another wild day on Wall Street that ended badly, I'm opening up the lines to hear from you, the voices of Great America, because it's an uncertain time. I want to talk to you. Then, is the force with Hasbro after today's move uh, uh, higher following what looked like mixed earnings? I'm going to sit down with the CEO to hear about what's ahead. And Clarkson to clean up for more than a century. But after the company's earnings report last week, well, let's just say, has it created a bit of a mess? Stocks been getting clobbered. I've got the exclusive with the CEO. So stick with Kramer. Up, down, down. the volatility knock you around? As I said at the top of the show, be the boxer, not the bag. The market's no longer 9.30 to 4 p.m. either. Take advantage of the stocks of good companies that have gone down a lot, like they did between 4 and 4.02 this evening because of VIX products. The market will come back. It's in reset mode. Let's get down to business. Figure this world of volatility, which is code right now for losing money, together. The floor is yours, Craig America. I'm taking my first guess. I'm going to Kansas. Rhonda in Kansas. Rhonda. Hi, Jim. Booyah. Booyah. Jim. We've seen deficit fueling the uh, cuts, uh, federal income tax cuts. How does this play in to the volatility we're seeing in our financial markets? Uh, you know what, uh, Rhonda? Yesterday I discussed that with Chuck Todd on, on uh, Meet the Press. It's very interesting you ask about it because I know that the political people want to try to find some way to hang their politics on this market. But it's not. This is all about individual products that are blowing up because people were thinking that the market remained placid forever. And it happened again this evening. I'm watching it happen as you and I are talking, Rhonda. There are products that are blowing up that caused the last 20 minutes of a sell-off. Until all these jokers are washed out, Rhonda, we're going to have some problems. So let's just stay with some cash and get ready to buy the stocks we like at the prices we want. Hey, why don't we go to – let's stick with the heartland here. Let's go to John in Illinois. John. Kramer, congratulations, man. That was a huge win for the birds. I have, uh, do you know that, you know that I now that. feel like it really doesn't matter about any part of life? I said that to my wife. She didn't like it. Go ahead. <laughs> I actually I have a question for you about another bird. Uh, Twitter stock has been really strong through the pullback this week, and at earnings tomorrow, it's ad revenue and user traffic are looking up. And it seems like follow me on Twitter and 
live tweeting events has become like the new American pastime. Right. What do you think, Kramer? Is this well, the year you of know the birds? What? You know, John, let's talk about this for a second. Do you see how the stock's done the last couple of days? Don't you think it's gotten too hot just off a of snap and the idea that there's something going on behind the scenes? Well, and that's a, I've been watching it for probably a couple of months now, and it's I've noticed the thing, it takes some big, steep dives and then right. some big, steep climbs back up. And I was I was actually, I felt a lot more confident after this pullback, seeing that it really didn't lose a lot of its value. Right. And that's kind of why I wanted to call you, because well, I don't know if it's just because of, you know, everything that's going on with it. Well, you know, John, up, another way to look at really it is uh, Anthony Noto did leave there. And he let he would not. I know Anthony is a man of character. He would not have left unless he felt things were in very good shape. So I would, if I had to buy some take two, I'd buy some before and then some after. But you know what? I would rather actually buy Snap at a discount to where it went out than I would like to buy take two to as a premium to where it went out. Let's go to TJ. Twitter, Twitter. I mean Twitter. In, yeah, Twitter at twenty six, twenty seven. No, Snap at sixteen, seventeen. Yes. Let's go to TJ in New York. TJ. Sir, good evening from West Point, New York. Oh, Cadets wow. are still talking about your visit up here over Veterans Day. Thank you so much. Well, you taught a great class that I had the honor of, uh, of being in attendance of. Thank you, TJ. Sir, my uh, primary question is how do I get out of the market responsibly during the time of ever-increasing record highs? My wife and I are planning to purchase a home in the next six months. Been waiting to take the money out ETS for over a year, but they just keep going up, Not the last two weeks notwithstanding. I don't want to be a pig and get slaughtered, so I took some out on January 26th, which is fantastic looking back. But I also don't want to leave money on the table if I can avoid it. I'm glad I didn't sell last January 17. Do I essentially do a dollar-cost averaging approach on the way out, or how should I go about responding? You know, TJ, you just I, – I was – now I feel like, you know, my, I'm listening to my, to my callers no more than I do. I was going to suggest that you do it in stages. I would suggest that you sell some each week, that you do a divisor. Say you want to get out of, say, 50% of it. Each week you take some off. But we got to do this first. You're going to need that – Pile, you don't need a pile of money. You haven't taken enough off yet. So you're going to take a larger chunk off tomorrow, and then you'll scale out exactly in a dollar cost average go. But you know what? I've got to be making this clear. If you need that money, no time like the present. And I want to thank you for your service and for hosting me. It was one of the greatest honors I've ever had. Boy, am I proud of you guys. Stick with Craig. I always tell you that you can't make snap judgments about a company's earnings. You need to listen to the darn conference call before you can come to a reasoned decision. Just look at what happened to the stock of Hasbro today. Boy, I'm going to use this as the example from now on for Mad Money. The big toy maker makes all sorts of iconic brands from Nerf to My Little Pony, tons of licensed products from Disney properties, think Star Wars, Marvel, and all the classic Disney properties. Thanks to these licensing deals, Hasbro was a beloved stock for years. But then the bricks and mortar largely Toys R Us filed for a surprise bankruptcy protection, causing investors to worry about what the big toy retailers' woes might mean for Hasbro. Well, this morning, Hasbro reported its latest results. And while the company delivered a major earnings beat, it also gave you a sizable revenue shortfall. The market couldn't really decide what to make of it, so the stock sold off hard in early trading. But by 10 a.m., 
Hasbro's conference call had wrapped up and the stock took off, only closing up $8.29. Remember, on a bad day. The reason management talked about better margins, strengthening the core brands, and most important, they sounded confident that they could weather the Toys R Us bankruptcy with a plum going forward. So let's dig deeper with Brian Golder, the chairman and CEO of Hasbro, to learn more about the quarter and his company's prospects. Mr. Golder, welcome back to Mad Money. Hi, Jim. How are you doing? All right, so Brian, i got to ask you. Uh, when I know that your conference call is always chock full of things I didn't know, were you surprised, A, that the stock t- got crushed at the beginning, and B, how far it came back after you told the story? You know, we really focused on telling our story as a company. We had great results for the year, very strong franchise brand growth, great gaming growth, and our emerging uh, brands grew as well. The only thing that went backward were partner brands, and we wanted to explain that our entertainment and licensing business was really accelerating, that you were seeing the success all around our brand blueprint for brands like Transformers and My Little Pony, and that's what we focused on today. Okay, which reminds me of a line that you had in the console. I thought you buried the lead, Brian. You said this is an unprecedented era of entertainment. I've never heard that concept. You're absolutely right. And Hasbro's in every aspect of it, isn't it? That's our goal. Our goal is to make sure that we can bring to life our brands for our consumers and audiences around the world. We've seen the world's best storytellers do this, and we needed to do this. We want to own more of the franchise economics of our brands. We own all the rights. You're seeing Transformers activated in mobile gaming. You're seeing it on a PC online game with Tencent in China. You're seeing My Little Pony and that animated film we made for a nominal amount of money really bring to life our consumer products business and allows us to go around the world with one voice to retailers, offering everything from apparel to toys and games. And that's really activating our brand and delivering value for shareholders. And what you've done is make it so that rather than have a one quarter story around the holiday season, you've got a secular growth story that is worldwide, that is every single quarter on its own. Well, we also have great partners, licensors, who have great properties and amazing stories they're telling around their brands. This year, we have a great lineup, just what you're talking about, with Marvel. It starts with Black Panther in a week, and our product is out on shelf. We're so excited about that movie. We have an Avengers movie coming. We have another Spider-Man movie coming, an Ant-Man movie coming for the year. And then, of course, our own Transformers movie coming, Bumblebee, at holiday this year. So it's a a really strong lineup for entertainment. And then, of course, we supplement that with all kinds of television, our games business, mobile gaming, and again, activating that around the blueprint and around the world. And you also did assuage some worries. You said November, December, there were some issues around Star Wars. But early 2018, you said it's significantly improved. That was when the the arc of the story changed uh, of the stock. But you must feel pretty confident to use significantly improved. Those are I know those are chosen words and you picked them. That's exactly right. Well, you know, we really have seen the performance of uh, The Last Jedi product accelerate once people saw the movie. We just thought that the window between the merchandise date and the movie date was a bit too long. We've already taken that into consideration in partnership with Disney. You'll see that for the next movie coming, which is Solo, Han Solo movie, uh, which is coming in May, we'll merchandise that in April. So we'll shorten that window, which enables us to take advantage of both paid and earned media and all the excitement around that movie coming to theaters. We have a great lineup of merchandise. You can imagine that between Last Jedi and its home entertainment window and the solo movie, we have great product at all kinds of different price points for fans 
and families. All right, well, Brian, what I'm hearing is a tale of entertainment. And yet, when I talk about your stock to people who are fund managers and reporters, they say it's a tale of M&A, that you've got to say, Brian, you're doing the Mattel thing, right? Isn't that what people care about? When I'm listening to you, I think, Mattel, that may have happened, you may have discussed something, but there's nothing going on. You know, I couldn't comment about that. What I will tell you is we first and foremost are investing in our business. We built these capabilities of the brand blueprint over a 10-year period. You know, you're seeing our performance come to the fore. We always are looking at how we return excess cash to shareholders. Our board just uh, approved a raise of the dividend to a 11% raise. That's really been our focus, and I couldn't comment on any M&A speculation. Fair enough. Now, I always am surprised by different brands that take off. One will be Play-Doh, it'll be Nerf. Transformers went over the strength. Monopoly? I know, Monopoly from strength to strength. It's because the team keeps reinventing Monopoly year in, year out. In fact, I'm very excited, Jim. You'll love our new version of Monopoly is for people who cheat. So it's a Monopoly <laughs> Cheaters edition is coming this year. Comes complete with handcuffs for those who may cheat and get caught. You just don't want to get caught. But we think in this environment it's very topical and people are already buzzing about it. Well, I'm seeing things like uh, online gaming companies that are uh, developing uh, uh, Activision Blizzard doing the kind of thing we're seeing with uh, Overwatch. I'm seeing this new HQ, this, uh, the game, video game shows. Can Hasbro do a video game monopoly show that we'll all want to play or cheat with? That's a great idea. I'll tell you, we are launching our Magic the Gathering Arena product. We've been in closed beta. It's been very successful, so we'll launch that this year. We're going to launch a raft of digital games around Magic. Magic is also an esports brand where you're seeing people play and we're watching on Twitch. Dungeons & Dragons has its best year since we acquired the brand in 1997. So we're really seeing the acceleration of those kinds of immersive games brands, and we believe there's a lot of future in the digital gaming space and the esports space for those brands. Well, I love the way you reinvented the company. I remember there was a time where I said, okay, well, it's February. That story's done. I'll see you in September. That is obviously not the Brian Goldner uh, Hasbro. Brian, thank you so much. Great to see you, sir. Jim, thanks to see you. Okay, this stock went up because the business is good. That's why. That was Brian Goldner, Chairman and CEO of Hasbro. You know what? The market's been crazy. Why don't you retreat to this one next time we have a big sell-off? That makes sense to me. Mad Money's back after the break. It is time. So the light round comes in. Wait a second. And then the light round says, are you ready, Ski Dad? The light round comes in. Let's start with Joan in Maryland. Joan. Mr. Kramer, I just want to tell you, you are absolutely, positively fantastic. See? I'm and looking at my executive producer. She's been doubting me all day. How can I help? Um, what Target? What do you think of it? I've been to the new Target, and it's a palace. Let's go to Jason in Arkansas. Jason! Hey, Kramer, let's get your advice on a small cap play on global growth that is Triton International, symbol T-R-T-N. Freight containers, good business right now. Market, you know, market's not reflecting how strong the economy is. Let's go to Mark in Wisconsin. Mark. Jim, my stock is Corsep Therapeutics, ticker symbol C-O-O-R-T. Yeah, they've been trying to do uh, psychiatric disorders. I think it's too hard, frankly. They can come on, but I think it's too hard. It's tough business. Eric in New York. Eric. 
Hey, Jim. Uh, there's a stock you used to cover, but you haven't spoken about lately. And uh, you had the CEO on a few times. They're a waste energy solution converting mostly to electricity. The stock pays a consistent six and a quarter percent divvy. And uh, the stock is CVA, Covanta. Oh, Covanta. No, I like Covanta. Ah. I think it's a good company. I, say I go by them every day. Let's go to Paul, Massachusetts. Paul. Hi, Jim. Hey, what do you think about Editas Medicine? E-D-I-T. It's a gene. I know E-A-G-L-E-S. I do not know E-D-I-T. We're going to have to do a homework on that one. And that, ladies and gentlemen, good. uh, Lightning Round! The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. What do we do with the consumer packaged goods stocks in this new, more volatile environment? On the one hand, this group is traditionally seen as a safe haven in tough times. But on the other hand, the big worry here is about rising interest rates, which make bonds more attractive versus high-yielding dividend stocks, like, say, the consumer packaged goods place. And now we also have to worry about commodity inflation. Take Clorox, the maker of household name brands like Glad Bags, Kings for Charcoal, Hidden Valley Salad Dressing, Fresh Step Kitty Litters, Burt's Bees, and plain old Clorox Bleach, along with many other products. Clorox stock caught fire late last year, ultimately gaining 24% for 2017, but 2018, different story. Last Friday, Clorox reported a quarter that was widely viewed as a disappointment, missing numbers in both the top and bottom lines when you back out the tax benefits. Meanwhile, the gross margins came in lower than expected, and the company's seeing some troubling volume trends in the household division. In response, the stock got slammed, made even worse because of the market-wide sell-off. So could it be safe to circle back to this one, or do we need to be more cautious? Let's check in with Ben O'Dora, the chairman and CEO of Clorox, to learn more about the quarter and where his company's headed. Mr. Dora, welcome back to Man Money. Good to be back, Jim. Thank you. Okay, but put it in context for us, because a lot of the analysts freak out as soon as the one that's never made a mistake has a couple of fault lines. How much of what the analysts who talk about margin problems, pricing troubles persist, how much of what are they looking at is fleeting, and how much are they looking at of things that you're actually worried about that could be longer term? So the cost environment is difficult. It's difficult for everybody in our industry. We are seeing commodities rise, which is a temporary phenomenon as a result of the hurricanes that we saw last year. And we're seeing transportation costs rise, which is why we have to put our cost savings machine, which is a very well-oiled machine, back to work. But sometimes uh, when you have a noisy uh, time, and clearly it's noisy for everybody in the industry right now, it's perhaps important to understand what really matters. And what, understand, what really matters for us is that we have a strategy that allows us to win with consumers and customers and a strategy that we have a lot of confidence in. And that's because we are gaining access to new households. We are innovating in an, an environment where uh, there's not much innovation around. We are engaging consumers online and we're winning that battle for the consumer as she migrates online. And we are generally just in a, in a very good shape as a company. And if you think about uh, uh, the first half for our company, that was a solid first half. And now, of course, uh, we have a, uh, the opportunity to put tax reform to work, which is going to be a huge benefit for Clorox shareholders. So all in all, at Clorox, we're staying focused on the long term and we're staying the course we have because we have confidence in our path forward. Now, there are analysts who want very much for you to lever up. Some analysts want you to give a special dividend. Some people want you to raise a dividend. Okay, I'm coming from another universe. I want you to find more probiotic-like acquisitions because I feel like you're a machine that takes a property, runs it through the Clorox machine, and sales do great. Which is the best way to use your capital? 
Yes, certainly. You know, the probiotics uh, acquisition with Renew Life that you mentioned continues to do very well for us and uh, is on target and has grown double-digit last quarter. But uh, our goal is to put tax reform uh, to work to make our company stronger and to put excess cash uh, into the hands of our shareholder because we have no incentive whatsoever to hoard cash. Making our company stronger will mean that we will put strategic investments in place in the growth and cost savings of our uh, uh, programs of our company. And M&A certainly uh, is something that we continue to be interested in and we look at a lot of things all year long. We're looking at good businesses that uh, are on strategy, that are profitable, that are growing, and uh, importantly, good businesses that are also good deals. But, um, you know, we do have uh, uh, more cash on hand now that we can um, uh, put into the shareholders' hands, and we are working with our board to look at a variety of alternatives and looking at the dividend is certainly something that we will do very hard. Well, to me, uh, when you look at rising transportation costs, which I think will ultimately be fleeting, when you look at the margin pressure from resin versus what you just said about what you're going to do with your cash, why, I, I find hard-pressed that anyone would sell Clorox. And instead, if you wanted something in this segment, you're the only one that I know that it actually has that optionality. I mean, it's quite different from the other, other companies. Yeah, we are a North American-based uh, company, so 83% of our business is here in the U.S., so we are disproportionately benefiting from tax reform. Uh, for perspective, Jim, uh, our uh, su suggested uh, tax rate for this fiscal year prior to tax reform was going to be in the tw uh, 32 to 33% range. Uh, now we estimate it to be post-tax reform in the 23 to 24% range. That is a dramatic benefit. And like I said, we will put that money uh, to work for our shareholders and to make our business stronger. Well, uh, look, I've been a fan of the story for a very long time and for everything that you've done. I think this is the, the opportunity people are looking for. I want to thank Ben O'Dor, chairman, CEO of Clorox, for explaining exactly what's going right before people keep selling it because of some resin issue. Thank you so much, Benno. That's Ben O'Dor. He's the chairman, CEO of the Clorox company. Stick with Kramer. Remember what Eddie Vedder taught us. We don't want to be the bag. We want to be the boxer. Yellow Ledbetter fits and is just as crazy as this Don Market. So why not invoke it and put some rationality into what happened today? Because, man, it was just plain irrational. The last 18 minutes were the nuttiest I've seen since 2007, 2009. But if you bid underneath like a snap, I think you'll get hit. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere. I promise I'll find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer, and I will see you tomorrow. I'm Kelly Evans, host of CNBC's The Exchange, which is now a podcast. Subscribe today. It's your one-stop shop for the day's top business stories. Plus, listen in for lots of original reporting, in-depth conversation, and some of the best of CNBC's award-winning investigative work. Subscribe to The Exchange for free, and you can always catch The Exchange live weekdays at 1 p.m. Eastern, only on CNBC. See you then.